0: Good morning, Hillside. Can we stand? Let's pray. God, as we come before you, we want to humble ourselves. We want to, um, God, give you all the honor and praise that you deserve. We want to drop all of the concerns of the week and lay them before you. And uh, God, ask that you do something amazing here that you glorify yourself in a powerful way and that you transform us as we build each other up as a body of Christ. We love you, Lord. And we want to lift up the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. our fears are washed away,
1: washed away.
0: that for endless days we will sing your praise, that you have washed away our sins because of the blood of Jesus, for all of those of us who know you and call upon you Jesus as Savior. God, what a joy it is to know that for eternity we will be with you. God, thank you for the mercy to spare us from what we deserve, the punishment, and the grace to give us what we do not deserve eternity with you fellowship with you we love you it's in jesus name we pray amen go ahead and have a seat
2: Good morning, Hillside. It's so good to be with you this morning. My name is Natalie Ferris, and I just I want you to know that this date on the calendar was really special to me. We had a big week at my, in my family. We started a new school. I started a new job at the school that my four kids are at. And I was thinking, this Sunday, I can't wait to praise God for what he has done this last week. And I didn't know what he was going to do. It was a hard week. It was a good week it was a full week but I just I'm so happy to be here to worship alongside you and I don't know what your week looked like or what your next week will look like but I'm glad that you're here and we're all here together praising the Lord Um, and it's equal footing at the foot of the cross as we come with what whatever our weeks look like to praise God so I'm glad that you're here welcome if this is your first Sunday I hope that you feel welcome if you are a longtime Hillsider look for someone that you don't know as the new guy this last week it was really awesome when someone came up to me and introduced themselves to me and made me feel welcome so that's a charge for you who are who are comfortable here okay a couple of announcements for you I hope that you have a bulletin if you didn't grab a bulletin you can pop your hand up and an usher can get one to you I'm going to highlight some of the announcements that are in there just on a high level but if you want more details you can look at that bulletin also if you are a new person or you have kids with you today there is kids church downstairs for nurse th- nursery through fifth grade so you are welcome to go downstairs to kid church or you are welcome to stay where you are so that i'll leave that up to you okay connect card and i'm you know At OTC, we call them connection cards, but we're calling them connect cards. And I'm proud of myself, I'm making that transition. It's a connect card. So you can fill out that connect card. And as a new Hillsider, here's a little tip that I learned. The, The plate will come by before the end of the service. So if you would like to update your information or put a prayer request on the connect card, you can put that in the plate when it comes by. But if you have a response to the message, maybe something stood out to you, you have a question, or you just wanna say, hey, this really touched my, my heart, then you can take that Connect card to the Welcome Center and put that in a little basket um, at that little table when you first walked in. So that's a, that's a newbie tip for you. Okay, a couple of announcements. As you drove in, did you see that big starting line oh, thing? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. got my heart pumping a little bit. Yeah. Um, that was really exciting. We are kicking off the amazing race. The amazing race is the calendar year, the, the ministry year race. And so today after church, both services downstairs, you can go for barbecue and fun games for all ages. Would encourage everybody to join in and participate as we start this amazing race together. Another announcement, speaking of food, Lunch Bunch. You might have seen the table when you first walked in. Lunch Bunch is happening this Thursday at 1130. If you are interested in going to Lunch Bunch, sign up um, so that there can be enough food for you. And again, what a great way to get to know each other and connect over, over lunch. Last announcement from me and then the mixer. Men's bowling is coming up. Any bowlers out there? gobble-gobble turkeys, kind of, okay, my husband has, I did not know this until we got married, has his own bowling shoes and his own bowling ball. And so when I was like, what is this mystery, very heavy bag, he was like, these are my bowling shoes and my ball. And I was like, that did not make it into any conversations when we were dating or engaged. I'm not sure, I, I think the shoes might be Velcro, but anyways, they're sitting in my garage, so if anybody needs shoes and a ball, we would be more than happy to donate that. Just kidding, he's really good at bowling, it's annoying, he lines up on the dots and like gets a strike every time. But I guess if you have your own ball, you should do that. Um, so men's bowling is coming up, you can check your bulletin for more details about that. Last thing is the mixer. It's just a question for you to be able to answer with somebody that maybe you didn't come with, just as a way to start a conversation. Now, are there any overthinkers out there? Anybody who's like an overthinker? Okay, I am a overthinker who goes into paralysis when it's like, oh my goodness. Okay, so this question put me into overthinker paralysis. I am a kindergarten teacher, and the mixer question is, what's your favorite children's book? Okay, Um, how much time, one, like one children's book? So I decided, you know what, overthink yourself, I'm gonna do you a solid. And you're going to choose your favorite children's book that you read this week to your class. There are only two days, I only have two options. So the, the book that I'm gonna share with you, my favorite children's book that I read this week is called We Don't Eat Our Classmates. And I read it on the first day of school. And it's about Penelope Rex, a little T-Rex, who's so excited to go to school, like so excited. And she walks in and her dad has packed her 300 tuna sandwiches in her backpack and she's ready to go. And she walks in and realizes that her classmates are children and she gets so excited because children are delicious and she eats her class. And her teacher's like, Penelope Rex, you need to spit them out. And so it was a little bit of a hard social transition because she would get so excited and just, just eat her friend next door. So we talked a lot about, you know, body control in kindergarten. And we're going to get these urges to want to, like, you know, push and poke and jump and run and all these things. But we're going to be like Penelope Rex and we're going to have some self-control. We're not going to eat our classmates, and so we made a list of all the things that we weren't going to do in kindergarten. And the next day, we came up with all the things we were going to do in kindergarten. So we don't eat our classmates. That's my answer to that question. You go ahead and stand up, introduce yourself, and answer that question, too.
0: Okay, if you can go ahead and take a seat. If we could have our ushers come forward for our offering. Let's pray that God will... uh... Do something amazing with our gifts back to him. God, we give back to you out of the abundance of what you have given to us. Use it for your glory, Lord. We love you. As we continue in praise, we want it to be from our hearts in gratitude because you have loved us first. We want to lift up the name of our Savior, Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
3: Thank you for the exquisite goodness of this moment, of being together and singing to you, praising you as the King of kings as well as our tender, loving Father. We praise you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our King. Amen. Uh, You can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, I'm Dan Seitz. Great to have you here. I'm excited to be with you for the launch of a new message series. Uh, When I was in fifth grade, uh, my mom, who was my fifth grade teacher in the public school, uh, put this Shel Silverstein book in my hands. And uh, I thought that the poems inside were some of the funniest things that I had ever heard read and not much has changed uh many of you are familiar with silverstein uh here is a test catchphrase style okay sarah cynthia sylvia stout would not take the garbage out good job meredith you're the only one who knew (laughs) man anyway very good job That's right. That's one of Silverstein's gems. Uh, Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. It goes on from there. But here are two lesser known Silverstein gems. Uh, These are two of my favorites. Uh, This one's called Pancake, and I, I love it. It goes this way. Who wants a pancake, sweet and piping hot? Good little Grace looks up and says, I'll take the one on top. Who else wants a pancake, fresh off the griddle? Terrible Teresa smiles and says, I'll take the one in the middle. Okay? That's gonna be a tough kid. Tough teenager right there. Okay? But here's my favorite one snowball. Snowball, I love this. It goes this way I made myself a snowball, as perfect as could be. I thought I'd keep it as a pet and let it sleep with me. I made it some pajamas and a pillow for its head. Then last night it ran away. But first, it wet the bed. Okay, Not Robert Frost, but still very, very good. But the Silverstein uh, poem, or really, story that really moved me, uh, was this one, The Giving Tree, which I bet many of you have heard of. I'm going to summarize, because again, I think you probably know it. But it's the story of a relationship between a boy and a tree that loves him, and which he loves in return. And the pair meet uh, when the kid's just a little guy, and they form a friendship with the tree providing a play and rest for this little boy. And this relationship and the opportunity to give makes the tree happy, which is the refrain of the book, and the tree was happy. Well, as the story goes on, the boy grows up, And he begins to spend uh, more and more time away. But at one point, he returns uh, with the ecstatic tree, uh, saying what she used to say uh, when he was just a little guy. Come, boy. Come, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches. But the boy, now a teenager, says, uh, he doesn't want to play and swing. Rather, he wants money so that he can buy things. And so the tree basically says, I don't have any money, but take my apples and then sell them so that you can buy stuff and be happy, which the boy does. Well, again, the boy disappears. And then he reappears after a long, long time. Well, the tree, again, just ecstatic to be reunited, repeats the offer about uh, climbing up her uh, trunk, swinging from her branches. But the boy, now a man, again says, I don't want that anymore. Rather, he says, I want a house. And then afterwards he says, I want a boat. So the tree first encourages him to cut down her branches so that he can build a house, and then subsequently encourages him to cut down her trunk so that he can build his boat. Of course, this leaving her a stump. Well, after many more years, the boy, now an old man, returns. uh, This time the tree, sad that she doesn't have anything more to give him. Well, the boy, Uh, again, now an old man seeming really, really beaten down by life says at this point he just needs a quiet place to sit and to rest. And this hardens the tree. And she responds, well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down and rest, which he does. And the last line of the book is, and the tree was happy. And this story moves me, moves me now, moves me back then. And back then, it never occurred to me that there could be anything at all problematic about this story. But just a few years ago, there was a huge cultural dust up about it. Famous psychologist, a guy from University of Pennsylvania, Adam Grant, wrote an article that went viral called, We Need to Talk About the Giving Tree. And in this article, he proposes that the book is dangerous. And this generated a huge wave of people online agreeing, saying the Giving Tree is toxic. It's horrible, with some public libraries actually banning it. And of course, others defended the book with equal fervor, saying, hey, this is a beautiful story about sacrificial love. Well, at first, I was offended by the haters, and I thought, who are you to criticize the giving tree? But the more I thought about the critique, the more I felt the point and felt a little bit disturbed, And the reason I felt a little disturbed was because I wondered whether that same critique could be leveled at Christianity with its uh, robust love ethic, because there's at least a surface similarity. After all, as we just saw in our last message series from 1 John, He Became Us, we Christians are called to lay down our lives for each other. So the question that began sort of swirling around my mind is this, is the Christian life with its extraordinary love demand, ultimately, about becoming a stump? And more specifically, is that what the Sermon on the Mount leads to? And again, it's a fair question, because in this famous sermon, Jesus asks us to do a lot of giving. For instance, in the sermon, Jesus says that we are to give mercy Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy can be hard to give. It can be especially hard to give when the person needing it was decidedly merciless to us (laughs) two weeks before. And that's just the beginning. In the sermon, Jesus similarly calls us to give love to our enemies. He calls us to give service to the world. He calls us to give resources to those who need them. So it's fair to say that Jesus calls each of us to be a giving tree in a certain sense. But again, to what end? To the end of becoming stumps? Or, (laughs) is funny, as one of the 32,000 Amazon reviewers quipped, Resting places for people's butts. That's what the person wrote. Well, interestingly enough, in his sermon, Jesus does use the image of a tree to describe the end result of a life of obeying him in love, in the context of relationship. But the picture he paints is anything but a stump. Rather, the picture that Jesus paints is that of a healthy Flourishing tree, a tree that leaves and blooms and produces fruit, and thus the name of our fall message series, the Flourishing Trees. Now, to cut to the chase, rather than being ground down to a stump, the Sermon on the Mount is about becoming a growing, flowering, fruit bearing. Now that's the promise. And therefore, friends, this whole series, which we're going to be in for 14 weeks, all the way to Thanksgiving, can be boiled down to one sentence. It'll all grow from this root, you could say. The way of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount is the way of flourishing. And that's your first fill-in. The way of Jesus. It's demanding this, notwithstanding, is the way to flourishing. Now, that may not seem immediately obvious if you know what Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount. Nevertheless, as we will see in his practical teaching, Jesus is offering us a path to our best lives. And not just in the future, but in the here and now. And you could say, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is answering the same question addressed by everybody from Plato (coughs) to Oprah. What is the secret to a good life? Now, maybe you're thinking that's a really nice idea. Makes for uh, a, a nice sermon series title. But, but is, it, is it really there? Is that really true to what Jesus is saying? And I want to tell you, that's what I thought when the idea was introduced to me in a book by Jonathan Pennington, who, uh, which I read in anticipation of this series. So let's talk about that. Is it really there? Or is this just uh, what a pastor says? Is it just rhetoric? Let's talk about that. A few weeks ago, a, a European archaeologist announced the discovery of a lost Mayan city, and he found it in a very interesting way. He was flying overhead in an airplane using lidar, which is airborne radar, and he sees something that looks like an ancient city. And at first. Uh, Other archaeologists were skeptical because sometimes these lost city claims prove to be overblown. And there's a reason for that. You know, if you are a physicist, your supreme dream in life is to win a Nobel Prize. Thank you, Jim. Right? Okay. If you are a pitcher, your great dream in life is to pitch a perfect game. Very good. Well, if you're an archaeologist, your dream is to find a lost city. That's why they get into the business. Okay? That's why they do it. Uh, but anyway, uh, the discovery is held up. It's proved to be legitimate, but this is interesting. Right after he announced it, another archaeologist, somebody from Cal Berkeley, by the way, said something interesting. She said that, that the team's next step, after making this announcement, would be to do some, what she called, ground truthing. And what she meant by ground truthing was the team would need to parachute out of their plane, and with their uh, machetes and their bull whips uh, and their fedoras, whatever archaeologists use, okay, get on the ground and confirm that the picture on the ground matched the picture from the air. All right? Ground truthing. Well, why talk about this? Because here's why. I've made uh, a high up 40,000 foot claim about this famous piece of scripture. Maybe Jesus' most famous teaching, okay? I've said the Sermon of the Mount is about human flourishing, not just in the future, though it includes that, But right now, in the here and now today, let's see if the theory holds up on the ground. All right? Let's do some biblical ground truthing. And let's see if there are indicators in the sermon itself that indicate it's about not just something for the future, but good in our lives today. Let's look at how the sermon ends. And you'll see this passage on your handout, and it will come up on the screen. Listen to how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. He says, and great was the fall of it. What do we have here? I mean, just not not going too deep. What do we have here just on the surface? This is wisdom teaching. In the Proverbs, the house is a stock image for our lives. So what's Jesus saying? It's very plain. He's saying that the the one who hears and does Jesus' words, by which he very specifically means the words he just finished, the Sermon on the Mount, all their challenge notwithstanding is the one who thrives. Even in times of disaster and catastrophe, that's a practical benefit. Not just something into the future, that's something for here and now. Now again, will the person who devotes him or herself to Jesus in love, as a learner, learning his way, living in love with him for for all of life, will that person experience an additional kind of future flourishing, of course? But the future flourishing in no way negates flourishing in the present, that's the end. What about the beginning of the Sermon? How does Jesus begin it? Are there any indicators there that the Sermon is about practical benefit? Here and now on this stage. Well, as we'll see, next week, Jesus launches this Sermon by giving uh, nine statements that all start, Blessed are. Now, it's really important you stay with me for about two minutes. Okay? This is going to be the technical part of the Sermon. For two minutes, stay with me, but it's important. When we read blessed here, something comes into our minds. We naturally think of the active bestowal of God's favor on somebody's life. Because indeed, that's what a blessing is. And therefore, when we read the Beatitudes, we automatically think that Jesus is saying that when a disciple, again, grounded in grace aims for uh, poverty of spirit or purity of heart, that in that moment, God automatically throws down some kind of benefit or blessing. Now, that might be true, because God's a generous God, and he's active in our lives. That's not what Jesus is saying here, though. It might be true in a general sense, and I think it is. It's not the point Jesus is making. Jesus is making a descriptive statement. He's making a statement about the way the world ordinarily works. And Jesus is saying that the natural state, the state you can predict, there are exceptions, but the state that you can predict for people who live in His way is to experience flourishing. Again, we'll explore what that means, but it's flourishing, practical life benefit. And we know this, stay with me, one little technical bit, because the Greek word for blessed here, makarios, one of two words you're going to learn over 14 weeks, two Greek words, makarios, that word is a wisdom word. It's a wisdom word, it pertains to wisdom. And it's analogous to the Hebrew word from Psalm one which starts out, blessed is the one, which if you know that Psalm, you know, it's about flourishing. Flourishing. Now, we could go deeper to establish the point, but nobody but Susan Turry and Jenny and Mark Boucher would care. So I'm going to cut it off right here. Okay. But because Makarios is a wisdom word, evoking practical life benefit. Again, having the sense of, uh, right here, fortunate, enviable, prospering, flourishing. A lot of commentary writers, people who study this at a high level, translate the Beatitudes this way. Happy are. For instance, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Now, happy isn't perfect either, because as we'll see, the flourishing that Jesus is talking about is more than just a a subjective emotional state. But at least happy kind of gets at the practical, real-life benefit behind the Greek word makarios and behind the Sermon on the Mount more broadly. Okay, end of technical stuff. Now, why does living by Jesus' way lead to flourishing? Even though it's demanding, even though it's really hard, it can even feel excruciating from time to time in moments. Why? There is a very important reason, and I'm going to save it for next week. But for now, here's the big idea of this message. Here's the big idea of this series that we're going to be in for the next 14 weeks. The way of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is the way to flourishing. Here and now, it transforms us not into lonely stumps, but joyful, blooming, date-bearing palm trees. Thus, one of the theme verses of the series, Psalm 92:12, which says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree. That's the promise of the sermon. That's what Jesus the King is saying. And to start winding down. Several years ago, uh, my twin brother Darren. Uh, my sister-in-law, Becky, uh, Allison, and I took a trip to San Diego. Midway through the trip, uh, our sister-in-law, Becky, said, hey, let's take a day to go to Anza-Borrego Desert State Park and, and hike around. And I had I'd never even heard of it, uh, but I was ready to go, especially when I heard that the route to Anza-Borrego went through the town of Julian, which is famous for its pies, if you've ever been there. And let me tell you, the pies do not uh, disappoint. So anyway, we head out. Two hours later, we arrive at the park. And when I see it, I cannot believe we are still in California, let alone San Diego County. You see, Anza Borrego is it's this desert wonderland. And, it, and to me, it looks more like something you would see in southern Utah than anything you would see in California. Well, anyway, my sister-in-law Becky has a hike picked out. We head out, and it's hot, and we have uh, lots of water, and we have food, and we have pie, most importantly. okay, It's a survival food. But it is hot, and I'm feeling a little bit nervous. And so we start to walk, and as I look up, it seems like there is nothing ahead but more desert and thinking, well, why are we doing this uh, hike? But still we plod on. But I don't know, maybe after two miles or so, almost magically, the terrain begins to change. And a plant here, and a plant there, and a wildflower here, and a wildflower there. And before we know it, we arrive at a cool, shady, forest of luxurious palms well we plunk down we pull out our lunches and we feast in cool comfort why the story you know much of what jesus calls us to in the sermon on the mount and in the gospels more broadly is demanding (laughs) and admittedly it feels like the hot desert trail that we took that day at first. And I was reminded of that this week. uh, Because our our life is a family change. New job, new schools, everything's different, requiring more stuff from me, requiring more stuff from all of us. And obeying what I sense Jesus wanted me to do was hard, but did it ever lead to an oasis? (laughs) It really did. And speaking of an oasis, that's what we all together as a church become more and more as each of us flourishes more and more by each of us leaning into our lord's words here in the sermon and the bible more broadly as each of us more and more lean into jesus's teaching in love soaking in his grace more and more we collectively become what an oasis flourishing trees for spiritual investigators to come and learn about Jesus. And you know what? We are that already. Just a few weeks ago, a brand new hillside, a first-time visitor, told me how much she loved hearing the laughter in the room and in the lobby out here before church started. She said it was music to her ears. Oh, beautiful. We're already an oasis. And you know what? We can become more of one as we all lean into Jesus' teaching and all become more of a flourishing tree. Four ways to get the most out of this series, and I can do these very, very quickly. First, come to church. Come to church. You're here now. Good job. Way to go. Let me tell you something. Hillside services, and hillside sermons in particular, they're not interchangeable. They build on each other. They really do. So if you have to miss, I encourage you, at least tune in during the week. Listen to the message so you stay in the loop. Second, use the companion study. Peter Turi does this every single sermon series, developed a brand new companion study for the flourishing trees. It's great. Use it with friends to go deeper into uh, the series. And by the way, my friend Steve Osborne Designed the beautiful art. And if you'll notice, it's homage to the giving tree. (laughs) Bravo, Steve. Absolutely wonderful. I love it. Third thing we can all do to get the most out of this series. This may be the most important one. Study the weekly passages with spiritual friends and seek Jesus' voice in them. Gather with spiritual friends in a prayerful and spirit-aware mode at the end of your study. Ask each other, living Lord, what are you calling me to do? How can I follow you? And I would say, if you are still trying to discern a next step in discipleship, make it joining a hillside group. I think it is the most important discipleship habit. It's life-enhancing, and you know what else? It's life-saving and life-preserving. Just write group on your Connect card, and a Next Steps team member will help you find a group. And lastly, and I love this one, as you begin to put Jesus' teaching into into place, in the power of the Spirit, aware of how beloved you are because He loves you. He's embraced you. Expect your life to get better. Expect to see blessing in your own life. Expect your relationships to improve. Expect to become more palm-like than you are now with you and everybody else experiencing the results. We have a really great series to look forward to. Let's pray, and then uh, we will get to a final song, and then we'll get to our celebration. Father, you know, thank you for what living in your Son, through your Son, and by your Son's word and way promises. Not just some kind of future good thing, though that's there, but our own flourishing in the here and now. And help us all to grow. Help us all to bloom in the fall season ahead. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just stand
0: so we respond.
4: Thank you for coming for us to make us flourishing trees. We were stumpy, withered branches apart from you. And you came. You rescued us from that state. And now you are bringing us into new life. Thank you for filling us with life. Your abundant, never ending, never uh, running out life, Lord God. We love you. We thank you for this. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't just fill us up, but you fill us up to give it out and to bless others. And so we ask that you would make us more flourishing this new ministry year, uh, this new amazing race, Lord God. We look to you. We ask that you would show us that next step of discipleship that we need to take to remain in you, the source of life, the source of flourishing. And we ask that you would show us that next step of service to bring that out into a world that's dying for it. We love you, God. We thank you for this. Amen. Amen. All right. So the amazing race begins today, and it's an unusual race because it begins with a party. So uh, go on downstairs after this, get some barbecue, play some games, and if you're sorting out that next step for yourself, discipleship and service, get one of these, talk to us this week, and fill up with some prayer before you head out. Come on up to the prayer team. Have a great week, and we'll see you again here next Sunday.